0: Welcome to Dragon Talk! Hey! Oh.
1: All right, Dragon Talk! Yeah.
0: This is the official Dungeons and Dragons Podcast. I'm Greg Tito. That's Shelly Mazinoble on The Claps. Hello! We have a really fun episode interview do. for you today. We talked to three of the folks behind Dumb Dumbs and Dragons, and they're very smart. And inspiring. Inspiringly smart.
2: Not what I expected based on the name. But exactly. you can't judge a group of people based on the name of their very funny D&D podcast.
0: It's true, right? Yeah. We are not dragons and we do not talk. We do talk. Though. Oh, I mean, but we're, are you a we dragon?
2: I haven't done my 23 Me yet, but I <laughs> suspect there might be a little bit of dragon.
0: You might have 0.5% imagined dragons in you.
2: Hmm. Mm. Mm. Very good.
0: Cool. Um <laughs> very excited for folks who are getting into Keys from the Golden Vault uh, right about now. I've got my copies. They are gorgeous you do? looking. Yes. They're fantastic.
2: Uh I went into a game store yesterday, as it turns out, which yesterday being Keys Release Day. Um, mm-hmm. and I it was front and center sitting on the counter. And my God, that alt cover. In real life is stunning.
0: It's gorgeous. It is golden. Yeah.
2: Uh, I love, obviously, the traditional cover as well. But, like, (laughs) of course, it's golden because on the alt cover, oh, my God, just look at it. Just go to your your local store and just gaze lovingly upon it. Maybe even purchase it. it, but at least look at it. My goodness,
0: look at it. The texture is nice for sure as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was really cool.
0: But yeah.
2: yeah, fun, fun book, definitely.
0: 13 adventures in there that you can drop in anywhere uh, and or string them all along if you want to be a heist crew going through several missions as you level up with a a patron organization um, that you can design your own or you can use the one that's in there, the Golden Vault.
2: I know. And you can use the Golden Vault anywhere. It doesn't oh, have to too. just be for one of these... It, wonderful adventures, but you anything that you're playing right now, you could just be like, mm, "Golden Ball," going to drop in and leave you a message.
0: And how great would it be as a DM, or or it, it is right now, as people are doing it, right, to get that uh, music box of here's the mission, here's know, the thing, it's so here's cool. it going to play for you, you know, and then it, you can just have uh, you know a differently flavored kind of adventure arc yeah. going on.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely excited to try out some. Some of that sweet heist life,
0: sweet heist life. I hope it's for me. We are actually going to be playing in a game at an event uh, that is one of these heists. Do we? Should we create heist characters together?
2: Yes, because I don't. I don't think my typical uh, archetypes are going to be the best.
0: Me neither. Uh, I might have to go some rogue. I don't usually do, use rogues, no. um, but that could be really fun. Or a ranger. I guess I, I do like the ranger, so I might do that, but... Yeah, we'll yeah. I don't, yeah. It'd be fun to use some skills that we don't usually use.
2: I don't know that I've ever played a rogue. Is that possible?
0: It's possible. Yeah. Huh. Some archetypes just don't, uh, you know, appeal to us, but now we get the chance to spread our wings.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's appealing, but I think it's always, like, someone else's job. Right. And I guess it's also really hard to know want to be a magic user but yeah I might I you might dip be, into the old what? one that
0: uses magic right you can use darkness or you know a jump is one of those things I'm like I would never use jump as a, as a spell but if you wanted to get up on top of a building that's the only way to do it especially at lower levels so that could be really fun okay. I think I want to I want to now that we're talking about it, I think I'm definitely going to do some type of a, of a roguey character
2: yeah yeah I like it cool
0: I'm going to sneak in, find all the things. Oh,
2: I didn't even know you were here.
0: Oh, there I was. Wow. (laughs)
2: You're so good.
0: That is a yes and right Right? there.
2: I was convincing. I think I actually did startle you there for a minute.
0: I did. I got got scared. (laughs) I got scared, but I rolled with it.
2: I was in character.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, So, we have uh, three wonderful guests for this. Uh, They began a Dungeons & Dragons podcast six years ago, more than six years ago. Uh, uh, They're in their sixth season, and we can't wait to introduce them. Uh, They've got a lot to talk about, and I want to improvise our conversation with them. Okay. Let's welcome Dum Dums & Dragons (laughs) to Dragon Talk! Yay! We have Yay. three wonderful individuals calling in from Canada. <laughs> they are awesome. They are the founders of Dum Dums and Dragons. And I'm going to introduce them all one by one so you can say hi. Here, Tom McGee. Hi. Hi, Tom. Hey, hello. McGee. Thanks for having me. McGee.
1: McGee. Oh, it's it's fine. The I did it wrong. I was like the, thinking the in my I head. Institute. I was like, I gotta do this now. Right. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I set you up for failure. It's uh, I'll, I'll just go by Tom. It's good. We're good. All right. You're McGee from now
0: on. And then we have Ryan LeP. No, Leplant. <laughs> McGee uh, and Lick-P. You know, we we'll just do what we got to do.
3: Uh,
0: uh, Tyler Hewitt, how are you doing? I'm good. My name's Normal. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you could uh, have done better on that one, Greg. Come on.
0: I know, right? Hewitt. Uh, Hello. I wanted to bump it up. Thank it was you. right
2: there. It was right there.
0: That's what improv is all about. And if you haven't <laughs> guessed already, these three are uh, improv comedians who were on a wonderful podcast for the last six years, right? Six seasons of of content. Is it six years, really? It's. It, yeah, we started in 2017. So, wow. And we're
4: still on the same campaign. So it is, Whoa, it is burning wow. strong. Bugging along.
2: Okay. Well, when I'm always curious about this. What made you decide, you know what? This should be a podcast.
4: Uh, ego, uh,
3: <laughs> going to say which one of us is going to
4: say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so Tyler and I went through the Second City Training Center uh, together in Toronto, taking their improv conservatory, and we started uh, seeing movies together because we both had time off before class, and we would alternate, uh, and each of us would pick a movie. So Tyler would take me to real movies, and I took him to Magic Mike, uh, and then <laughs> nice. I, we never made the timing work, but I was so determined we could get into Katy Perry's documentary, I think called A Part of Me, uh, and it just didn't work out. But we, we'd run a podcast for a while watching bad movies and just kind of joking about them with other comedians. And I'd always wanted to play D&D, and I had tried and just had not quite landed the right group for that experience, so I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. And then I overheard some other comedians playing uh, on podcast, and I was like, oh, I get it. This is just role-playing. There's so much fun, and everyone should do this. Why was I playing with people who were determined to win? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just sent out a call for, for DMs and we found Tom, who I had gone to university with, who's a playwright and like super good writer, creator, storyteller, voiceover performer. Uh, and he told me he decided to stop DMing the week before because it was taking up too much of his life. But if it's <laughs> going to be a show, then he'll do it. And that's what led to all of this.
0: If it's going to be part of the business, that makes sense. Is that, is that how it went to according to your memory, Tom?
1: Oh yeah, 100%. I Ryan had put out a, a I think a Facebook message being like, "Hey, does anyone" and I've been like quietly uh envious of of the the movie show for a bit. <laughs> uh so I was um yeah, I was like, "Yeah, I I mean, I I could, but as Ryan said, I was very much in a space of like it takes up so much like I just I found that creatively my brain was just running and i mean like i'm sure all the dms listening like once your brain really gets hooked on that story you're just thinking of all the angles and the ways it can go and everything else and i was playing with a wildly too large group and we couldn't get our schedules together and it was all all the horrible stories that we've all encountered of trying to run <laughs> D&D. but um so when ryan asked i was like i mean like i reached out i was like i mean i, I could but like eh. and he's like well here's the thing if it's for a show we have to do it like we have to schedule it because there's a regular release date so that actually kind of makes it more manageable i was like you are correct. And we're, we're a bunch of workaholics uh, and love generating uh, stories and everything else. So, yeah, it just kind of fell into place. After that, we ran a little test game uh, and realized we were having a blast. And then uh, we just, we, we, we started up and we're like, this will be a fun thing we do for a little bit. And here we are, six years later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's Aww. not
1: dissimilar to how Dragon Talk came about. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, we're in good company. Yeah.
0: What did you guys dum-dums. think of Magic Mike? Uh, I really enjoyed I it. Loved I it. I thought it was tongue in cheek. Uh, <laughs>
2: tongue and cheeks.
0: Uh, Many cheeks. Yeah. Uh all right so Tom you're the the DM and then Ryan and Tyler you guys are players but then you have other players as well, right? Yeah. 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 Uh uh
3: we have uh uh
0: Laura Hamstra is our
3: uh, uh fourth regular on a lot of our shows and things like that, and then we do have like a rotating cast of guests of other Toronto comedians and improvisers and and things like that. Um, some other Canadian sort of like couple influencers on there as well. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been a great roster of of guests that
1: we've had over the over the years. Yeah, when we started out, we. Um... The angle we were thinking we would take, because we're like, there's lots of shows playing DD. and um, But the the sort of rare thing we had was like, well, we know a lot of improvisers and comedians who are all curious. Because, I mean, as, as you know, people are always like, oh, I've always wanted to try DD, But like, I don't know. I don't know where I would start. Or like, oh, yeah, you know, I played one of the video games. And like, that got me excited. But like, I just never found a group. So we thought it might be fun to just ask some of these people that uh, Tyler and Ryan had gone to school with or had done shows with or that I'd done theater with. And say like, hey, would you want to come on for a day? you know we'll record we'll do a crazy marathon recording day and we just like to come on and and you know play play D&D with us um they'd never played Ryan Tyler and, and Laura had never played uh, I'd played a bunch um so I was like okay well I can I'm happy to kind of anchor this thing and then we can just bring in whoever and and give them a kick at the can which has led to some as you can imagine <laughs> completely wild Character choices and adventures, and like me literally ripping up a, a big castle map because they just went around. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like you just fine. made up an
3: entrance to the castle. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's also, I think, helped us develop our sound. These days, we don't tend to have as many guests on just from scheduling purposes and everything else. But early on, it really gave us a lot of freedom to play and a lot of freedom to kind of learn what having that new energy come in all the time is. If you've ever been a guest in someone else's game where you've had a guest come into your game, like, you know what happens when the dynamic shifts. And because we were built for that initially, and that was every session for us, we got into a really, I think, good rhythm of just letting fun ideas happen and letting, um, kind of embracing the comedy uh, pieces and really letting them be part of our world rather than like a weird distraction or disruption instead of being like, oh no, this is, this is the thing. So yeah, if you declare that for some reason there's a, like a, I think it was a sewer that goes directly into the heart of the castle, (laughs) you're our guest. You've made a funny case for it, and also you've got a sword full of bees. Like, who am I to argue, as the DM, I should just get out of your way (laughs) and let this happen, because it's a lot funnier than anything I've got planned, so. That's how we've ended up
4: with Ranger the Ranger, uh, the (sighs) bard, not Peter Baelish, who looks surprisingly like Peter Baelish. There's just (laughs) a a whole run of characters. Uh, At one point, we had a a 12-year-old boy come on who played Mr. Mittens, the cat person. So, like, we've had a lot of fun characters over time. Was he a tabaxi? Oh, you better believe it. He was (laughs) murderous. (laughs) He was you just say he was
2: Mr. Mittens, the murderer. Mr. Mittens, just tabaxi. an absolute
4: lovely little psychopath. It was perfect.
2: <laughs> was he? Was this an actual twelve-year-old boy? This.
4: Okay. Yes, yes, and, nice. and we we did for that episode, made sure his character was also twelve, so we all, as comedians, behaved appropriately and <laughs> set the adventure in a nice, safe way. And his mom was there for the recording and
1: thought it was very funny.
4: So. It, it was. She's, there were rails. A long time fan of
1: the show, and had like come up with a character, and he's like, "I really want to play a cat person." He didn't know Tabaxi necessarily. It was just like, "I really want to be a cat person." And my anime. So I was like, "Okay, well, who would your enemy be?" He's like, "Oh, like Grumpy Cat." And I was like, "Okay, all right. <laughs> well, what do you do?" He's like, "Well, I want to sit in a box." We're like we, we can make that happen. We, we can do that. that. <laughs> yeah. it's it's amazing. The power of imagination. We
0: uh, can do that. I we can make kitty litter with our imagination. <laughs> yeah, it happened. <laughs> your know, yeah. mind is beautiful.
2: See, that's the beauty of Dungeons and Dragons—you can make it happen. But I, I will, I will ask all of you this, this question. But I, I will start with—I guess this is a—I think Tom, you can probably give some really good advice to dungeon masters out there as a lifelong DM yourself. But I would imagine that there are wonderful aspects to playing D and D with people who are skilled at improv and are comedians. There's probably also some challenges. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of good ideas, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of, I mean, let's be honest, Greg and I have theater backgrounds. It's really fun to be center stage sometimes. So I will ask just how do you manage the many different storylines and different personalities? And then also for you, Ryan and Tyler, as players, how do you also manage like the, like the, the natural give and take between a party?
1: So I think a big thing for us going into it was knowing that this that we would be um, recording it and doing it as a podcast meant that all of us approached the game as uh, performers as well mm. as players. So the choices we make are all very player-based choices. Um, we don't discuss things in advance. We don't talk about plots or character arcs or anything else. That all happens organically. But there's a little mindset shift that we've all found very, very useful. Uh, and I found it useful running D&D at like, charity events and stuff too, of just shifting a little bit away from okay, this is about like me, and my, like the benefit I'm getting out of this is that as a player or as a DM, I get to have the experience of playing D&D with my friends because it's actually like we're doing this for an audience. Um, and that just shifts everyone's brain just a little bit. It happens on the player side, it happens on the DM side. Um, it makes failure a lot more fun. It's something that we lean into and and has really, I think, crafted like a lot of our best moments. Whereas as a, you know, a player at the table, particularly if it's a large group, there's always that disappointment. Of, like, well, my dice didn't go, like I rolled for like my big moment And I failed. And that's kind (laughs) of it. Like, I'm going to wait 12 hours while the rest of my friends do their thing. (laughs) Like, you know. um, And uh, then it'll come back to me still being bummed that I, you know, threw my fireball down a well and nothing happened. (laughs) Um, So, leaning into the failure helped a little bit, but also just being aware, like, oh, well, if I failed, then as a player, it's not like I missed out on my great moment. It's, I have helped the show. Like, I've helped our audience have something to enjoy. And I think with with, um, a lot of the kind of wilder improvisational pieces that can come in. And I think even just at a, a table without improvisers, just the creative energy that can kind of come smashing through the wall of of the game. A big piece of it is, I think, just looking for, if it's not my experience, it's our experience. And in our case, again, literally having a third party. But even if you can just imagine that for yourself, of like, okay, if someone was watching this as a movie, how does this work? How does this fit? And what's a fun way we can run with this that doesn't, Disrupt everything that doesn't make anyone f- fall out of spotlight necessarily, but that that kind of helps us uh, roll a bit. And as a DM, uh, I lean a lot on sort of film practice. So something I, I take that I do a lot in our shows, particularly for newer folks who are either um, aren't improvisers. We've had some folks on who, who aren't and aren't coming from a performance background. Um Or um, are characters that don't really have anything to do in the scene. Um, I'll often just ask them what's going on for their character right now. Like, what's going on in your head? And basically, just give them a little, do a little dragon talk with them. Like, a little interview. (laughs) Um, Because often, what they're thinking and feeling is incredibly engaging. It really helps build out the story and the world. The other characters and players are really excited about it. Um, But it's something we would never get. Because, you know, I'm sure we've all been, like, the barbarian in the talkie scene. Or, like the you know scholarly wizard in the fighty scene and you might have something powerful happening for your character but you don't want to steal that spotlight and it's a way i think particularly as the dm that you can help direct the action a bit so if you do have someone who is taking up the space either because it's like you know i'm here to fight my father and resolve our plots or it's just a really big personality as the dm you can kind of control that a bit by being like okay that's awesome i'm going to check in with like hey incredibly quiet halfling trickster who has said nothing this scene. Like, what's going on for you with this? And sometimes you get absolute gold out of that. So that's kind that's of how cool. we've built it um, from the the DM lens is like, I will set up a world, you can interrupt the world however you want. And because we know there's an audience, we can drive it to that. But Ryan and Tyler, I'm sure like you've had, because you've been in the party <laughs> with mm-hmm. some of these bigger disruptors. What's it like being on the player side? I would say
3: with, with people with like improv backgrounds and things like that, um, sort of like one of the core tenets is like, just make a choice kind of thing. Make a decision. Don't kind of uh, waffle on things. Um, and so that has actually produced a lot of really, really fun interactions, uh, like right off the sort of introduction of this new party member to our, our core group. A couple of times, I played kind of like a, a surly, bit of a jerk character. Uh, and people make a real quick decision of like, I don't like him. <laughs> uh, and it makes for some like fantastic, like just internal conflict uh, and the conflict always like helps to like move the plot forward or conflict creates like comedy and things like that. Uh, so when we have our kind of improv or like sketch comedy friends and things like that joining us, um, it it doesn't take long for a sort of rapport to to develop between the characters and things like that. Um, and for uh, our characters or our guests who are not necessarily as, Uh, inclined towards improvisation, things like that. It's still just basically like human interaction. Um, Mm. You just uh, don't necessarily um, uh, lean too far into uh, conflict as much. You want to make sure that they're like buying into it and things like that and they don't feel personally targeted by your mean character. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's an important distinction. Checking in regularly uh, between sessions and episodes and stuff like that and just seeing how that how they, how they feel about that. And if they want to try something new, because again, like Tom said, uh, you know, we have these um, sort of like bigger recording sessions where we get a bunch of episodes out of them. And so there's lots of opportunity to check in and and see if somebody wants to try something a little different or anything like that. Um, And lots of opportunities to like edit if uh, especially with like our comedian friends, if somebody tries a joke that it was like, Nope, cut that. Nope. That's not (laughs) not the kind of joke we want in our show. Thank you very much.
0: Uh, So we get that kind of stuff too. Don't go that blue. You can go a little bit blue, maybe like yeah, yeah, <laughs> baby blue, <laughs> baby blue. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, does that all track? How, how does that? How does that fit in doing like the longer sessions too? Because that's that's a little bit different.
4: Yeah, it, it all really tracks for me. I mean, one of the things that I always do, because I, I also write, and I, I'm a narrative designer for video games and all that kind of stuff, is I'm always thinking about how can I assist other people with their bits? Improvisers tend to be actually really giving. If you listen to mm-hmm. our show and you hear a guest come in and just be super mean to one of our characters at the gate, odds are that's their best friend. Like, like the, <laughs> that the, the has people been the to meanest to me, yeah. Tyler <laughs> knew Tyler for 10 years and then came in and just were like, Quinny, you suck. Whereas <laughs> I knew I I wanted to have somebody who could have his own adventures and have his own kind of like big feels and all that. But the first flaw I wrote for the cleric named butthole. Oh, we can have a whole talk about that, but that's, that's my guy. <laughs> it sounds weird now, but you wait until, you know, two seasons in and people are like, I really miss butthole. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> I'm living it's... my best life. <laughs> but, uh, the one thing that I have is he gets caught up in other people's mythology is like his biggest flaw. So if somebody comes in and they're like, I am a king, he's like, everybody shut up. Nobody else gets to have a say in this plan anymore. What do you want to do, king? And he just hands off really quickly. And it just lets people who may, who who are making strong choices, great, they've got a best friend. Like there's somebody who will be like, you two seem to be fighting right now. I'm going to lock you in this room and not let you out until you sort this out. <laughs> and just hand a scene over uh and just kind of have that or if somebody doesn't really have a choice or they're not really sure what's going on the buttholes the guy is just like will lay out two incredibly bad plans and be like which one do you want to do and then when they pick it turn to the rest of the group and be like they said this plan it's very good we both agree this is the plan we all have to do now and just kind of make those those big offers but respect tom at the same time which i think is key of the whole thing is he is the arbiter of the universe
0: well so, that is respecting Tom because you need to have an instigator you need to have someone who's moving the plot along especially for a show versus a home game uh and so in some ways that's that's showing more respect to Tom by being like here's here's your options
1: and so that you don't have to do that right Tom <laughs> Absolutely no and I uh, to to Tyler's point earlier about the the givingness of of improvisers um something that uh you know, as, as the DM, there's often the fear of like, well, what if, you know, I set up my my, my big bad villain in this great plot and I've got all these twists and turns and the players just don't care or don't connect or kind of want to do their own thing. And uh one of the nice things about playing with people who are kind of trained in that yes and sphere of just like, oh, that's your idea? Cool. How can I add on to it? Is yeah, sometimes the plans go completely awry or like the amount of characters, NPCs I've introduced that are now like Beloved long standing party members. <laughs> we have a wolf they adopted. We're doing a Minds of Fandelver to kick off, and they just adopted one of the wolves immediately. And we're like, <laughs> I made a casual joke to try and humanize a goblin they were killing. And they're like, well, we need to save this goblin's dog forever. now. Like, so, and he's just like a, ra- a goblin junior is this wolf they adopted, oh. and he's been on the show forever. And I have to be really careful because every NPC I enter could end up. Just being someone I have to play for the rest of my life, uh, which is a a bummer. But, you know, I didn't plan for any of these characters to stick around, but they're bringing them all along and they're making these plans in a way that is still um, very loving and respectful of of kind of the narrative. Like there's a really nice tone. And I think like as a player, it's definitely something you can do as a DM. It's a huge gift to receive, which is just saying like, I recognize what you're laying down. I'm going to find my own way to it, interact with it my own way. But even if I'm going like left and right and up and down and doing like curly cues and everything else, I'm still moving in the general direction I know you need me to move, as opposed to I am fighting you on the direction that the story is going. And again, like for us, because it is a show and we are aware of the audience, it helps a little bit that we can drive that way. But I'd also say that it's it's the nature of, of improvisers and also just like fun players who understand like we're telling this story together. Let's, let's make sure we're all still, we can have our fights and interpersonal stuff and our own missions and goals and objectives and betrayals and everything else. As long as it's all still shifting, you know you built the castle. I know we need to go to the castle. I'm going to do some silly stuff along the way, and then I'm going to ruin that castle. But we're still going to end up in the <laughs> castle. Which, again, is to your point, Greg. Like, yeah, that's the respect for a DM. It's like I get that you spent some time on this. Let's go wreck it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not make you rip up that that map. We'll
0: we'll, we'll use that map. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. They yep. baked a goblin into a cake with a crossbow, and he just like shot the big bad guy. And we're like, all right, well, that's it. Castle done. Like, good work. Yeah, you've ripped,
3: you've ripped up uh, castle maps. You've ripped up enemy stat blocks because we made friends with them. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got we we uh, Ryan's character uh, butthole <laughs> um, makes fast <laughs> like friends was- with a lot of a lot of NPCs. So a lot of one offs from Tom end up being cherished friends and allies of the group.
4: Yeah, and, and Butthole's obsessed with unionizing. So whenever he meets, like, downtrodden henchmen, he tries to befriend them, convince oh them God. to form a union, uh, and yeah. then stand up for their rights. So he has successfully unionized kitchen goblins. Uh, he created a, <laughs> another goblin collective that was running a junkyard. Like, he's do, doing good work out in the world.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Definitely leaving his mark, for sure.
0: So I, how do you how do you contend then Tom with these uh amazing stories you know examples that you're giving but that all that all seems a little bit like oh man there can't be any bad guys you're always trying to convince everybody to be uh unionized and or you know uh uh not a threat H- how do you keep threats going and and uh make the stakes as as uh you know uh, big as they need to be
1: Yeah uh so that's like a great question is something we've definitely I've struggled with at times um, because it it doesn't it gets a little bit harder when it isn't as as easy as just like look out it's that guy who's like twirling his mustache with a knife in each hand you're like that guy is going to become our cook (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, no, no, fight him.
0: he's evil every
1: time. Um, so, uh, in general, um, the, the sort of philosophy I tend to play with as a DM, uh, I basically just like stole from uh, the Hitman video games from IO Interactive, which was like, I always love playing those games because I feel like one of the things they do so well is they just set up a world, right? They're like, here's a world, and there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. It's all happening simultaneously. People have their their lives that they're living out. And then you as the player, as Agent 47, the hitman, you enter the world and you can mess with it in a bunch of different ways. But if you just sit there and do nothing, like wild stuff will happen around you. And it creates a really nice living sense. So my sort of DM philosophy is is that kind of interruption theory, which is like, I'll just build a cool place where stuff is happening, knowing that you're going to wreck it. But it kind of doesn't matter to me if you wreck it, if everyone in that world kind of has their objective. So to your question about villains... One of the easiest ways to do that is just make sure that it isn't like there's, you know, Bowser is in the top of the castle. He's got like mm. Peach and you just got to go beat up Bowser because they're like, but what if we befriend Bowser? And like, what if uh-huh. Peach is really the villain? And I'm like, I, no, I can't deal with that. But if Bowser's in one tower and like Peach is in the other tower and they're both kind of questionable, then it doesn't really matter to me which one you side with um, or if you make them both friends or whatever because there's still enough conflict there. So for me, it really is looking at the wider world and, like, what can be going on um, that you can interrupt and you can play with, but not having to hang my hat so much on, like, like, even when we did Strahd, like, we had a very complex Strahd situation going. because so I was like, I know if I just introduced Strahd, I'm like, look out. Everyone's going to be like, okay, but... Like let's invite him over. We'll have coffee. We'll see what we can do here. Um, <laughs> he likes wine. I like. I wine I would do that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Very curious. Um, we had a, a. We've been playing with multiversal stuff. So that arc ended up being the Curse of Strods, as they just accidentally they encountered like scuba Strod, and they're like, well, that's a dumb outfit for Strod. <laughs> and then they encountered Arctic Strod, and they're like, well, this is strange. And then they killed Arctic Strod, and they're like, well, I guess we're good here. And then Hawaiian Strod showed up, and they're like, oh no, there's so many, which meant I had lots of Strods we could deal with, and some of them were dicks, and some of them weren't. So like. You know, it's it's little ways like that to kind of keep it from just hanging your entire plan on one villain. And then the other piece that has worked really well for us is just digging into the characters' backstories for things they care about. Because if I introduce a villain that I think is evil, they might find a reason to like them. But if I introduce a character that I know they, like, honestly, it's just a lot of union busters for Ryan's <laughs> character. But if I introduce someone who's like, I hate labor laws, I'm like, Ryan is gonna try Ryan and murder go this character. This. So that to me is the other piece. Like, build an interesting world where stuff is happening that isn't the central conflict that can be of interest and dig into your character's backstories. Because from both Ryan and Tyler and certainly from Laura from their characters' backstories and what I saw they cared about and didn't care about what their ambitions were, I was able to draw a bunch of kind of villains and arcs that I knew they would just be naturally drawn towards encountering. And Ryan and Tyler, maybe you guys can speak to like what, what that feels like on the other side, but that's kind of how I've approached it. I <laughs> can. <Corey Tyler.
3: laughs> yeah. to, to sing Tom's praises a little more and also kind of uh, shake my fist at him because it, <laughs> it is so heart-wrenching sometimes. Uh, Tom will not as explicitly as I'm about to, to say, but, but very subtly basically say, Oh, these are your character's values. What were the ha what, what would happen if I were to twist them and corrupt them ever so slightly and bring in the personification of like nega you <laughs> 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 or, or what if I were to uh, extrapolate upon what your character's values are uh, uh, and create uh, uh, some sort of opposing force or someone who's taken your beliefs too far kind of thing. Uh, and it starts to uh, hit home a little bit in terms of <laughs> i like really caused me to do some self-examination, some self-reflection on what my character's like biases and beliefs are and things like that. And uh, I, I can certainly speak for my character, Quinny Brownbarrow, as being like a surly jerk <laughs> uh, halfling rogue uh, has like, really matured and grown because of the impact he's had on NPCs and things like that. And people who, like, the, the idea of like, if this, then that is like another sort of like tenet of improv um, saying, well, if this is true for Quinny, then this must also be true. Uh, and then building up sort of a, a big mirror to put in front of our characters that we then have to face, often in literal combat.
2: <laughs> Was that surprising to you as a player? That that the like you weren't I mean you you can't know because you don't know what the game's going what's going to unfold. But was that this is like a surprising development for you as a player to see how your character is evolving?
3: For sure I was not ready for it. Uh and it started to happen without me kind of even realizing. Hmm. Um and you know, on a on a uh comedy actual play D&D podcast, some some of the things you do and say are are just you're in it for the bit. It's just all in service of the really funny bit. Except now that's canon, and it's going to come back to bite you. <laughs> uh, happens with us a lot. Uh yeah, So yeah, Tom is
4: beatboxing for us. So yep. that seems like a funny joke the th- first time. Until like you're, you're an hour later, you're like, oh no, I have to beatbox a message to someone.
3: <laughs>
4: okay. Does it have to rhyme?
3: Mm, yep. <laughs> oh, it just the the you know the. <laughs> Oh, it's just the, the, the sounds of beatboxing? Subtle communication, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Can, you know, subtle gestures and hidden key phrases and things like that. It's just beatboxing now because I was an idiot and made a joke about that. <laughs> so that's just how Thieves Can't works now.
0: <laughs> well, I'm also interested, too, because you two were new players when you started, right? And so the characters you probably created were, this is just true of most people, it's a little bit of a self-insert, right? You're like, oh, okay, I can play a version of myself and so I wonder if that has made these stories and, and anecdotes of, like, growth even more personal. Is that, has that been true, Ryan? Uh, I mean, sort of. Like, uh, <laughs> I would say Butthole is an aspirational version of myself. Uh, Everybody wants to be Butthole.
4: Right, wow, 100%. But he, <laughs> he's super kind. We all aspire. He's super <laughs> friendly. Uh, I also, I mean, I was really fascinated by D&D's, like, the fact that gods are real and clerics channel their power is like super fascinating to me. So for me, I try to come up with and give myself room for the character to grow, where I was like, oh, okay, I've got a cleric. He's ridiculous. He prays to a goddess no one's ever heard of. Moonhammer, the goddess of strength, joy, and flatulence. The last one is made up of the first two. Uh, But his powers actually work. And what is it like to be in a party with this ridiculous human with these crazy but buoyantly positive views. And then to be like, your God's not real. And him be like, well, then how did I heal you? <laughs> and just have to deal with that. But I was like, I'm going to leave it up to Tom, how this works. I'm not going to like sit down and be like, here's how Moonhammer works. i I'm like, butthole doesn't know he's at the start of his journey. He's going to find out over time. And I think the thing that really surprised me was at the beginning, it was like, yeah, we're going to do jokes and there's going to be an emotional grounding for the characters. They're going to get angry. They're going to get sad. They're going to get hurt because that's the nature of like good improv and storytelling. But man, when you hit that episode where we like, it, it is a defining episode in the fandom where someone dies and then everyone on air is crying. And I was like, I did not sign up for this. I'm here to play the fart cleric. Why am I crying? Why is this my life now? Uh, and then just getting, getting really attached and, and trying to stay true to those characters that we built. But I think for a lot of them, it's like their strengths are their weaknesses. Butthole is going to try to make friends with everyone. He also believes everyone can be his friend. And Tom has weaponized that so effectively <laughs> in the party. A guy named Chromium Plantier, or Cormium Plantier, who's just yep. super handsome, super put together, and Butthole meets him is just like, I trust this guy. He seems so nice. And the party has been betrayed by him so many times. And I keep not beating him with wisdom scores. <laughs> <laughs> Charisma, so I still like him. I have a letter in my pocket.
2: Yeah, kind of like along with what you're saying, like the the, the way that the characters evolve and the, the story. But it's a comedy podcast. So, I mean, and like you said, it is meant to be entertaining. But also, your story's been going on for six years for a reason. So how how do you balance the this is meant to be funny and comedic, but there's also real actual stakes in this game? And I, maybe we'll start with with you, Tom, on, on your perspective sure. of that. Yeah, yeah. And then we can talk to Ryan and Tyler how they do it.
1: Yeah, so kind of following my my theory of kind of like setting up the world and everything else, part of what I view as my job is to figure out what those grounding stakes are, figure out kind of where the heart um, can lie in what I'm building on my end to make sure that I'm not dropping the characters into a situation they have no connection to. Because that is where you start to, for my money, lose stakes and heart a bit which is like if if i mean to tyler's point if the characters arrive and the place has nothing to do with them they're just kind of there then the jokes are easy to make but the heart and the stakes and the ongoing story gets a lot harder so um i tend to spend a lot of time figuring out what the the ongoing story arcs look like and that's what used to set my brain on fire when we were just starting up was like i'd have some ideas and we used to play like marathon sessions late into the night and I've worked the next day. But as I was walking to the like the late night Tirana bus uh, to get home, <laughs> I'd just be like, oh no, they said that thing, which is great because I was thinking about this, which means I can introduce this. Ooh, they really shouldn't have left that person alone with that thing, but they did. Great. And so I've kind of viewed it as my job to make sure all of those pieces are there for them to find. Um, and I don't necessarily know where they're going to come in, but having those long, again, like seasonal, not just seasonal, but kind of series arc plans. So, you know, there's... um. Uh, this is like a, a big old spoiler but yeah, um, we introduced <laughs> uh, uh, Tyler as, as you mentioned like Queenie had evolved a lot over the course yeah. of the show and Queenie is you know he's a thief he's self-centered but he like grew to love everyone around him and like become a good team player I'm like cool what's the next worst thing that can happen to that guy because oh. he's like cool I think I've done it I kept everyone together in our darkest hours I'm good now I can just live out the rest of my life and like when I die I die you don't need to revive me I don't want to deal with any of this nonsense anymore I went to hell was revived like don't care Uh, So we introduced his daughter that he didn't know he had, (gasps) and it just broke him um, and led to Tyler and I having some very emotional scenes, but also she's a teenager. So, like, there's a lot of comedy just inherent in my dad is a dead hero thief and I want to be a hero. Oh, wait, no, you're just a jerk and you're not a hero and maybe I'm better than you. Like... But we had that angle, we also had all the feelings of like, oh, like this is, you know, a family connection and all that sort of stuff, dealing with some really tragic stuff. And that was something I'd been sitting on for like a long time, as something I knew I could just kind of bring into Quinny's orbit. It would lead to comedy, but it would also keep the stakes real. And more importantly, it would give Tyler a bunch of new stuff to play with as as motivation as he goes. So again, for me, it's just like finding those things with Ryan's character butthole. It was like Moonhammer was a huge gift. Like, what is the deal with Moonhammer? So I built a whole storyline around how we're going to figure that out and everything else. And for me, again, it's like, I don't really view my job as the jokes. My job is just like, I will build the stakes and the heart and the story. Mm. You will all just naturally do the jokes. But if I have built all those hooks in that will propel your character forward and give you room to play. And more importantly, I'm not going to dictate how that plays out. Like, uh, Ginny Brownbarrow could have been a one-art character if they really got along poorly. Um, but now she's a beloved member of the crew, and we both have big feelings about it. So, like,
2: hmm.
1: again, I think the way I view it, it tends to be my job is stakes and, and heart. And then, and well, not heart. Like, I don't have to bring the heart, but, like, set up situations where characters like Butthole can really kind of, like, show their, their heart and either have it destroyed or or succeed. Or characters like Alan, who's our, like, power, very polite, power-mad wizard uh, that Laura plays, like, just setting her up for situations where it's, like, you can help your friends or you can read this forbidden tome. They'll never <laughs> know. What do you do? And like, there's a lot of jokes leading up to that. Um, Laura's reactions to that are always very funny. But the stakes are still super, super high. And she might then turn around and be like, come on, Butthole and Goblin Jr. Let's go back to our airship, the McSquiggly. But we still had this incredibly powerful character moment uh, buried in that. So that's kind of how, how I take it at least, is just let them do the funny, and I'll do the do the world building that the funny can be a whirlwind traveling through. You know, I love that mm-hmm. too,
0: because a lot of people associate comedy... With being funny, which I guess it is, right? That's, but, but in my mind, if you're thinking about it from the Shakespearean thing, comedy really just means there's a relatively happy ending at the end versus the tragedies where it's relatively a lot of people die, right? And so, but you need to have the heart, you need to have stakes, you need to have something in every comedy, and so many people don't even realize, like in all the the comedies that we love. You know the end of Act Two, and in most of the movies that we watch, really sucks. Like it's really (laughs) there's a lot of heart, and everything's broken, and everything is terrible. But that propels the character forward, as you're saying. And so you have to have that in mind. And that I love that you were saying that that's your job, while the others can can do the window dressing of of of, of making each individual line, you know, one liner funny along the way. Is that is that kind of how you guys think of it, uh, uh, Ryan and Tyler? I'm looking at you, Ryan, since you haven't spoken.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it ends up being like this wonderful combination of somehow community and Lord of the Rings at the same time. Like friendship <laughs> is very important and, you know, we're we're all there, but the, the stakes become real. And Tom does a really great way, uh, has a really great style for hooking in those backstories and hooking in what matters over time. Uh, and the nice thing is we consciously, when we were designing these characters, left a bunch of big story hooks. And for anybody who's looking at a longer campaign... I would suggest doing that, where it was like, oh, Butthole served in a mercenary company. He has parents who are very powerful in like a different faith, who are very dangerous. He's traveling around. He's got these enemies. He's got these friends. Have families. Have groups that you've worked with before. And don't feel like you have to have hashed those out to begin with, because then it's just, oh, as things matter along the way, allowing the story and the other improvisers to change the character without having an end goal in mind where I'm like, okay, I kind of know what he would do here, but at the end of this adventure, what happens? And what are the, the failures? We had a whole arc where I, as Ryan, forgot to use a spiritual hammer that I had, I had summoned. And I just forgot for an entire <laughs> combat and it just stood floating off to the side doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> and at the end, I could have been like, ah, I screwed that up, whatever. But instead, I got so mad at Moonhammer for refusing to help in that fight because I decided the hammer had decided to stand over there. And it led to this whole arc of like butthole questioning his faith and like yelling fights at his God and then like what's going to happen with his powers working or not. And then at the end, he tried to use his powers and they didn't work. And it's Mm. just Tom going, and here's a consequence that is very real. And did that lead eventually to him becoming an atheist and redesigning himself as the forsaken and hunting down gods? Yes. (laughs) Because I love wrestling. And is he the opposite of every Hollywood superhero in that when he's really depressed, he gets super shredded and shaves. And then when he's happy, he turns back to his portly bearded self. Yes. Did it produce a book tour where he wrote a book about his adventures that became a bestseller that we made bits out of for, like, three seasons? <laughs> also, yes.
2: Amazing. But
4: the big feels were real. And those stakes were real. And, like, his relationship to Moonhammer has changed over time and affected who he is. And his parents have become this growing and bigger threat in the world that he's morally obligated to stand against. And he's had to protect his friends from, like, their own moral failings that he feels like he he has not necessarily made while screwing up constantly along the way because he's a big, very positive child. So that's the bounce. Yeah, sorry, Tom, go
1: ahead. I can tag on the end of that. um, When I'm talking about kind of like the things to keep in your back pocket, it was exactly that situation with Ryan where he made this incredible choice to like acknowledge his player failure as a character choice instead. Uh, And I've been sitting on, like, I knew what the deal with Moonhammer was. I've been seeding it. And then when that door opened, I was like, oh, that's it. That's, here you go. Here's where we can bring this in. So to Ryan's point, the more gifts you can give your your DM, and as a DM, the more gifts you could look for with your characters in terms of, like, what are those gaps? And if you've made, if you figure things out, like, you don't necessarily need to know the exact moment, but instead just look for those golden opportunities. Because literally, like, that whole arc turned into such a beautiful, like, in a lot of ways, series-defining shift uh, for the show uh, over time with a bunch of other stuff that happened as a result. And it was all, again, just because, like, Ryan was making consistent choices for his character, interesting choices for his character, often very funny choices for his character, but that opened up all the opportunity I needed to, like, slip in stuff that that I'd been kind of, like, sitting on. So if you have those in your back pocket, you can always find a, a place to just, you know, spring those on an unsuspecting character. Has and there been any... Really
4: good, but- checking that stuff off air as well like he messaged me at one point but he never gives away plot we don't ever discuss what's going to happen in episodes so his players were totally blind on on all of that but i was he messaged me once and he was like do you think butthole has ever had a relationship with someone like a serious physical relationship and i was like no i don't think he understands how that works it's all very theoretical and he was like oh okay (laughs) And then I messaged him. I let it it go until we had the whole next session because I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to spoil anything. And I I eventually just messaged him and was like, Tom, why did you want to know? And he was like, oh, I thought you might have been able to have a kid. But like, you you didn't. You didn't have a relationship, so that's not possible. So I was like, oh, man, I never would have thought of A to B to C and then when Ginny showed up, I was like, Whoa, it wasn't me. I don't have to deal with this. Uh, okay. So not, yeah. my <laughs> not my kid. Not my
1: kid. I did message Tyler. It just came up because a fan was doing art for the show at Valentine's Day. It was like, I want to know everyone's orientation so I can like represent, you know, the different flags and different characters. And I was like, this so we just got casually talking. I was like, so Tyler, what do you think Quiddy's deal is? He's like, oh, this. I was like, is there anyone special back home? He's like, oh, probably. I was like, Okay, goodbye. <laughs> All right. Put that in the back pocket. Right. A little,
3: one, a little one-off uh, fling. Yeah. Right. I'll see you in two years.
0: <laughs>
3: right. <laughs> Tom <laughs> plays the long game. It's insane.
0: It seems like these stories Very have been patient. in the chamber for a long time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. My, my question then, follow-uping on that, is has there been any moment that has passed like when you're saying there's been these golden opportunities that you took have there been ones where you're like oh i wish i could have done that or i wish i had i had been able to do that
1: and that goes you know you know we can talk about that from the dm side but then also from from the player side yeah i mean i think from the dm perspective there's rarely a session that goes by they don't walk away being like oh but that mm, um and that certainly happened i mean the nice thing about knowing that our game is regularly scheduled because we have to release episodes is if I do miss <laughs> something, I know I have a very, like, like two weeks from now, I can try and bring that back or, or <laughs> out a way to work it in um, type of thing, uh, as opposed to, you know, when you're playing it not for a show that comes out every week. I, there have been times when I'm like, well, six months from now, maybe I can try and bring that that beautiful plot moment in uh, that I missed. So, yeah, absolutely. And I guess the, the key for me is, is it a good enough thing to repurpose? Do you need to carry it forward? Is there somewhere else we can play it? Um, you know it's the Seinfeld George Costanza trying to set up the joke again just so he can use his comeback years later and it just doesn't work <laughs> like do you, should you just let it go or is it worth saving if it's worth saving then really looking at like well what's at the core of it like what are the, the and again with to my point with with Ryan I was like well someone's gonna have a kid uh, <laughs>
3: and no one's having a baby I'm, I'll I'll see yeah, to it myself. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I'll see to it
1: myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll so, put this in your backstory.
0: Um, you don't even know
1: that you did it. Yeah, yeah. surprise! <laughs> I wrote your backstory. Um, but uh, yeah, so either like what's at the core of it and like why does it matter? And for me, it was, again, basically in that specific instance, the idea of like, well, what's what does that do to a character? Like, for example, Butthole, who is just like, I'm going to help everyone. Everyone's my friend. It's like, what if you literally have a dependent, though? That might change your like, oh, yes, the villain who's betrayed us nine times, I'm going to welcome him back into our house. Maybe the 10th time will be different. Like, does that change? And then with, with Quinny, it was just a, you know, right right place, right time. But Oh, yeah, I've got just bags of regrets of, of missed story beats. And I'm also a continuity nerd. So, like, going back and listening to your own content and being like, oh... Oh. That And we only, we got caught, a, a fan caught a bit where she's like, hey, did you forget that these two people were different people? And I was like, I sure did. We recorded that arc three years ago. <laughs> uh, and a pandemic happened. So like, yes, I did. And then I, I like because it was bugging me, retconned it on air. Where I'm like, oh, he uploaded his brain to the other guy. So they're the same guy now. I'm sorry. Um, So yes, I live with a lot of those. But I don't know, Tyler and Ryan, I'm actually kind of curious for your take on this. Yeah. Because- Tyler, what do you got?
3: I mean, as like an improviser, after like every show or anything like that, I'm plagued with woulda, coulda, should shoulda's kind of thing. And so it actually becomes like an active exercise of like, no, you gotta let that go. Mm. This is the nature of improv. This is the nature of role play at the table and things like that. Uh, So I try not to catch myself uh, uh, wishing I had done something different or anything like that. What I try to do is if there's like a lesson to be learned, uh, I try to take the lesson but not, um, I, I, I don't try to bring up uh, uh, missed opportunities generally just because it's uh, uh, it can lead to sort of <laughs> very sort of inorganic exchanges and like sort of leads to like shoehorning in certain whatever the bit or joke or character uh, beat might have been. Uh, uh, it's kind of, I treat it a little bit of just like reality where the past is the past and you can't really change it. You can... Uh, you can reckon with it um, and you can bring up past exchanges and and in character talk about, you know, I, I wish I had done this with you or, or, or I, I regret that decision that I made in that dungeon or in that tavern or anything like that. Uh, but it's all it all comes from like the character and the humanity of it more than from the perspective of uh, running a show or entertainment. Because, yeah, that I, I don't I don't know if like, Ryan, if you if you do that. Or or have done that, but you can really spiral when you're thinking about past improv scenes, right? Uh, uh, and just like, oh, this would have been so much funnier, or more cohesive, or this would have been more on theme. It just you can just really really tire yourself out,
0: go down the regret hole a little bit yeah. too much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, it's it is a deep hole, and <laughs> you can only <laughs> dig down. Um, it's not as deep as butthole though.
4: Oh <laughs> no, but if you want to know who's got the deepest regrets, man, butthole, he's. <laughs> Big choices, big mistakes. Um, for me, yeah, I think a lot of the the idea of like, if I did something, I try to keep it in the game because I think it's a really fun way to shape characters. I think failure and I think doing things that they may personally disagree with, but you didn't realize it at the time because you were caught up in a scene and then make a choice. And then later on realizing that that like, oh, that, that doesn't feel right. Well, the character cannot feel right. Like the character can walk yeah. out of being like, I wish we hadn't done that thing and actually talk it through with the other characters and let it shape them in either, maybe they become more morally gray than they had begun when they started. Maybe they have a greater question. Maybe now they feel like they have to make it up to the world and do do one very good thing to balance out the very bad thing they just did. That for me is like, I, I try to think that there are no mistakes as a player. There are just things that shape character maybe in a way that I didn't anticipate. The thing that I constantly get haunted by is like, did I talk too much? Like, did I throw to other people? Did I support their bits? Like, I don't want to be trying to, like, hog the show, which is tricky when we've also got characters, like we've talked off air, where they're like, you're the planner. Please keep coming up with plans. <laughs> Neither of us as players are good at plans, and we don't want to do it. And then me being like, this is going to sound like I am railroading this party on air, but we are going to do it because they do not want to make a plan. And no one can see the panic in their eyes, but I can. Um and just trying to to balance all that is is i'm much more like how do i make sure that everybody around the table is having a good time and if i don't feel like i've done that that's the thing that like haunts me on my own time
2: oh that's sweet yeah i i it seems like such a simple thing now but I love the idea of taking, like, the player regrets and putting them on your your character. For one thing, it's just, like, how nice is it just to offload your own issues onto someone else? <laughs> it feels great. But what a good idea for character evolution and development. And like you said, there's potentially another, could be another story hook there for you. It's
4: such Absolutely. a good idea. I- and if your character is troubled, one of the things I know a lot of people who are like, how do I show this out? And I'm like, if your party gets along, and most parties do, or they have like one party member that they trust more than the others, I'm like, go talk to them about the secret that is bothering you. Because a secret as a character in D&D is only as valuable as everybody knowing it. Right. And like as players, so they know, so like they know they can lean in or lean out or whatever, and the scene will have more weight. If nobody knows the secret, then it's not as valuable to the story or to everybody I mean, have a secret that just the DM knows, sure, because that can pay off in different ways. But it's like, oh, if my character's troubled about a thing, I'm like, I need to talk to you. And to the point where, like, even Quinny and Butthole don't always get along at times, that he no. will just <laughs> force that conversation while Quinny tries
3: to get out of it. Yeah. And that can be a scene in
0: it. An and that's episode. comedy. That's amazing. That, yeah, we. that's...
3: <laughs> uh, uh Ryan and I have joked about this uh, a lot, kind of, I think on and off air at this point, but, like, I love Ryan. He's one of my best friends, and... Boy, do we seem to constantly argue and fight with each other in character on air a
1: lot. (laughs) Which, again, as a DM, keep your radar up because I Freaky Friday'd them at one point and it was a treat. So (laughs) always just look for where you can steal stuff like that and just be like, okay, you guys want to fight all the time? Fine. (laughs) Do it as each other's characters.
2: That's fun.
1: Get Jamie Lee Curtis on the phone.
4: (laughs) <laughs> Listen, if she wants to come out for a weekend, we will play D&D with Jamie Lee Curtis. It'll be so
0: good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe not for her, but for us, it'll be so good. <laughs> it would. It would be good. She would love it. Um so, yeah, I'm curious now after talking about all this, how it has in uh, informed or changed the way you approach improv uh performances that aren't D&D related. Hmm. Uh do you feel like you've grown and changed together? Or do you have a you know, you mentioned the rapport that that Ryan and Tyler you guys have? Uh, uh, Has has that been on stage as well, or how does that work?
3: I've definitely found that I'm more interested in sort of the comedy of just being flawed humans. Um, I was very, very much into more sort of absurd, uh, um, kind of just uh, bit-based comedy, uh, where I would just basically work around a silly or obtuse idea uh, and I still really like that, but I also now really, really like how just funny we all are as people. Um, and I've incorporated a lot of that into anything that I'm writing or anything like that. I really, really like just people being people, and uh, that's really funny to me. And that really came mm-hmm. out of from doing uh, a role play at the, at the table of figuring out, like, who Quinny is and stuff like that. And then how he interacts with guests, how he interacts with the, our regulars, Butthole and Alan, or any of the NPCs that... Uh, tom produces um yeah so i've i've definitely leaned more into just you know aren't aren't we all just kind of silly sometimes
4: yeah and i think it's it's heightened the intelligence of what i am doing with improv elsewhere having had the experience with DD and with other rpgs because we got a bunch of other shows too if you're into a specific game <laughs> go check out our website dice.com. you'll see a bunch of things um but It's realizing that, oh, it doesn't just have to be a bit. Oh, drama and comedy can exist in the same characters. Like, you can make a joke and still have a real emotional reaction. And, like, there needs to be a core reality to the characters. Because, sure, you can go off and you can unionize the goblins and you can do all this. But when you find out that, oh, this NPC that was also a member of the party died during the battle with the big boss, you can have a funeral. And you can all give a eulogy that is from your perspective and is meant to be meaningful and encompass that relationship. And the next day, you can fart on everyone's breakfast to heal them. And like that can all be the same character. And I mean, that's a big thing I've learned from Tom and from, from the audience and the way that they've interacted. So yeah, it's just trying to be more real. I feel like if you're a young comedian, you're always like, every older comedian's like, you just want to find your truth and you want to like really lean into emotions. You don't have to do all these bits and funny things. And you're like, whatever, (laughs) old man. (laughs) Uh, And I am becoming an old man who's like, I just, I think people's foibles are excellent.
2: (laughs) It's good. It's good to see people in a fresh, new, positive light. That's... Mm -hmm.
4: Um, and D and D helps you build real characters, even if yeah. you're starting from a stereotype. Playing these longer games and improvising with other people let them change you. You can actually find out about yourself and real people. Yeah, yeah. The classic
3: stereotype of a cleric named Butthole. Yeah. We've all we've all has a lot of depth.
0: Yes,
2: surprising amount of depth.
0: I think Dave Arneson and Gary Yagax created that stereotype. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A, little, a, from one of the classic a little nod
0: <laughs> in the show that we did.
1: Yeah, oh, all yeah. in the butthole.
0: So smart, you guys are so smart. Uh,
1: it's
0: got layers. Yeah, I, mean,
2: <laughs> I guess kind of along the lines of that question. A question for you, then, Tom, is assuming that you actually have time to do other writing outside of D and D. but yeah. has this campaign or or DMing in general shaped how you approach other writing projects?
1: I mean, yeah, so I, uh, my, my day job is in um, training uh, writers and I, I teach playwriting um, at a university up here uh, in Canada. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's, it's been interesting because like my, generally my, my whole life, and my whole career has been around not just storytelling, but also um, helping storytellers uh, in theater, spent a lot of time as a dramaturge, which is like kind of a theater therapist. <laughs> um, I've been a story editor. I, again, train young writers, uh, established writers, all that sort of jazz. and. The thing I've actually found hardest is not prefacing everything with like, okay, well, in our D&D podcast, uh, <laughs> what I've learned is X, Y, Z. Because like, like I, I paid for a professional playwright. Why are you talking about D&D? I'm like, because <laughs> that's where the money is, baby. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, has, it, it has changed my storytelling a bit. I mean, I've always been a fan of the long con. Uh, even as a kid, like I would tell, I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time with action figures. So I would tell these like big, epic, like Star Wars and Ghostbusters and Batman and Spider-Man, and G.I. Joe, like all these things. I tell these like massive stories just for me usually. Um, and so when I started playing D&D, as I mentioned, like part of the reason I quit for a while was I had these huge storylines that I wanted to explore and like found all these great backstory pieces, be like, oh, this is going to pay off this way and like we breathe the world in that way. Um, and when you play like once a year, uh, no, you're not. You're never. You're not going to reach those. You, you need to really focus on kind of what the party's doing in the moment. Um, so I tried novel writing. Um, I'm a playwright. Uh, I've done a bunch of different things. Um, but what D&D and, and this show particularly has, has taught me is just how to do it so much faster and smarter, I guess, in a lot of ways. Because you don't have time to edit. You don't have time to get writer's block or get in your head. You're on air, you're live, you have people at the table. You get the benefit of being able to bounce off of them and incorporate their great ideas and their bits and and the choices they're making. The dice make a huge difference. But then when you're done all of that, reflecting on those scenes and being like, well, what did really work? Like what did work about, again, like looking at Quinny's character arc and being like, what's the most challenging thing that could happen for him right now? A daughter that he, an estranged daughter that just enters his life and he has to make a choice about if I'm starting a story from scratch, those are still the same questions I should be asking. And I think like um, something I run into with a lot of folks who want to try writing for the first time is they're just really worried about like, oh, it's, it's very technical and everything else. It's it's not. It's it's exactly what you're doing at the table. It's those fun conversations. It's fun choices. Um, it's what you do when the dice go well for you. It's what you do when the dice go poorly for you. It's that cool backstory you made up for your dagger or your loot or like whatever cool item you've got that you're like, what if it was this? Like that's really all all it is. And it's, Ryan's point about kind of finally understanding the wisdom of of folks who've come before you is just like yeah storytelling is it's a complex art and there's a lot of technical stuff and everything else but so much of it can be easier if you just kind of let it be um, and a lot of that is just kind of letting go of your own hang-ups about is it good is it right I mean I constantly worry about whether the show is good I constantly worry about whether like for a while there, I was having like real bad anxiety about like, ooh, that last arc landed real good. I don't think I can possibly top that. Mm. You know, we get to the end of a season and it's like, you know, a character died and like the villain was destroyed and like the world has changed. I'm like, great. The next day, I don't know, you go down the path and uh, there's a dungeon and a dragon. What do you do? Um, it's like a George thing just where be- you just want to be like, all right, well, I'm out. That's it. Yeah, I'm that's, never yeah, going to get it, any yeah, higher exactly. than this. Yeah, go on, on the high note. Yeah. Um, but what I started to realize, and again, this has helped me as as a writer, as a playwright, as a screenwriter and stuff as well, is just being like, you know what? It doesn't have to be better. Um, it just has to be engaging. It has to be interesting. And if you can do that, if you can just literally put foot in front of the other foot and start thinking about like what would be interesting, what would be fun. The the weird thing is by the end of that next arc, usually I'm like, well, that's the arc. How am I ever gonna top that one? And that was the the like. You know, I couldn't possibly top a previous one. And I found that with playwriting as well. Like uh, my uh, partner and I write uh, Muppet Shakespeare adaptations. So we've got a Muppet Shakespeare company up here in, in Canada. And um, I, I had the same problem where at the end of one, I was like, oh, wow, we did Hamlet. I don't know how we do a better like Muppet Christmas Carol style Hamlet than that. And eventually I was like, we we don't. We're just going to do like Midsummer because it's fun. It's a fun play. We're going to do Twelfth Night. I like Twelfth Night. I want to talk about bullying. Great. Here you go. Yeah. And it's, it's really just to Tyler's point about letting go and, and not, you know, staying with stuff, getting out of your own way as a writer is the best gift you can give yourself because like, there's plenty of other people who will be more than happy to get in your way. So if you can just (laughs) let that piece of anxiety go, and I think as, as DMs or players at the end of sessions, at the end of arcs, at the end of campaigns or modules, like being able to, to Tyler's point, take the, take the good, as Ryan said, like integrate it if you can, um, but also then take all those things you've just learned with your fellow players and yourself and be like, cool, how can I apply that to, to writing elsewhere? Um, okay. I don't get as many fart clerics in my other writing as, <laughs> as I do on on our show, but, you know.
2: There's a time do, and a place.
1: You do exactly. have Swedish chefs, which are... That's uh, right. Yeah, hurdy-burdy. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's there's, there's other options. <laughs> Herdy. <laughs> Herdy,
0: well, that's great advice. And I think it's a lot of things that people have similar to... Um, prepping too much as a DM or getting like mm-hmm. kind of in their heads as to whether or not um, Shelley, for example, of like, oh, I'm not going to be able to to be a good DM. And my whole thing has been like, you just got to do it. Like, you got to find, you know, part of what makes it fun for me is the improv and making it up in the space. But you can do that in varying degrees, right? You can be, be like improving on the page or improving in your in your backstory uh, leading up to it and prepping it and making it happen. And you know, I love that you guys have a deadline each week that's making this content happen. And I think that's probably more uh, instructive than anything else. Right.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh, and, and definitely. And, Shelly, I've been in your shoes from the sounds of it as well, where I've done a little bit of DMing now for the show also, uh, and was feeling kind of nervous about that and, and things like that. And I basically just created a scenario where the Players are running through a gauntlet designed by a guy who doesn't have a full grasp of what he's doing. So I just channeled everything that I was having a hard time with into this character who is running a gauntlet that our heroes have to run through. And he's kind of like, "Uh, all right, okay, the next room, give me two seconds. I'm going to set up the next room, Uh, (laughs) uh, you know, and just uh, 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 like leaning into it because it's it's no it's not it's not illegitimate to feel that way or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, And it's it's interesting as a character thing, too.
2: It's like leaning into like the re- your real life regrets with your yeah. players. I was I have been DMing for kids, and oh, and hearing uh, yeah. you talk, Tom. I'm like these guys sound like kids. They like they're doing, <laughs> they're the, fart doing all, the fart jokes, butthole um, befriending everything. Like I like you said, it spoke so much to me when you were like, "Well, now I now I have to be this character too, like forever." Because <laughs> now I'm like. Two two guinea pigs, a banana slug, a sturge, <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, and and a cobalt that they've like found along the way. I'm like, this thing is attacking your face, and they'll be like, well, I guess it's time to tame it. I'm like, okay.
3: <laughs> <All right. laughs> And, oh. and and then it's going to be time to teach the children about betrayal. That's yes, what's next. <laughs> well, That's right. I,
2: I, like that one, like every time, like you still have to like keep d- like doing the the t- you got to keep rolling that animal handling check all the time because I don't oh, trust yeah. the sturge at all. Um, but <laughs> yeah, policy. the the guinea the guinea pigs are full on just BFFs. But it is like it's it's hearing you talk, Tom, and and hearing how all of you, um, Tyler and Ryan, approach your characters and everything it is like it's really inspiring and like and i feel like freeing too of just like you don't have to to know everything it's all about leaning in and it's all about just letting it happen just be open to to what could possibly happen like you're like i just love how surprised you are at the evolution of your characters and the and the oh, yeah. dropping in these massive surprises and just Just going with it. It's like, it's such a good thing to happen in a game. But like, I have to believe that your real life selves have also kind of benefited from this happening to you every single week
4: for six years. I think we'd all agree that our mental health is so much improved by getting to do this as often as we do it. Like we do everything else in our lives. So we get to do this. Uh, (laughs) and We want to do this more all the time to this. But I think it's, it's those have been kind of a lot of the big lessons. and the, Some of the tricks that I've learned, because I played with Tom forever, and you're like, am, how am I going to DM? This DM is so good. Which I think is like every player's immediate panic. Yeah. And I have like two tricks that I would pass along to anybody who may want to cross the Rubicon to the other side of, of what's happening. And one is, you don't have to have the answers for the players. You just have to give them choices. So you don't have to say, this is the path. It's just like, do you want to go left or do you want to go right? There's this room or there's this, like, there. do you want to do this or this? Because they just really don't want to be stuck in a sandbox that's too wide. And whatever plan they come up with, even if it wasn't on your list, they're going to be really satisfied if it works out. So, like, sometimes you can just set them up for, like, here's a murder mystery and they weigh all the evidence and they're like, this is the killer. And in my head, I'm like, no, it isn't. But you got <laughs> 75% of it, and saying no will make this really depressing. Congratulations, you found the killer. Like, you are correct. <laughs> and then everybody goes home happy. <laughs> and no one knows. So just keep those those facts deep down in your heart as a, as a DM, and they'll be like, what a cool puzzle. We solved it. And you'll be like, no, you didn't. No, but you didn't. But you're so happy. You're yeah, so happy, and I'm glad you solved it.
0: I love that. It's, it's, it's fudging not the dice. It's fudging the... The narrative to be like, okay, that's a satisfying session and, it, and something that is very true in improv comedy, right? Too. It's like, okay, scene needs to end. Here it goes. Absolutely. And yeah. resolve yeah. onto the next thing, which is. As long as everybody yeah. feels good, it's a good story. Like that's it's a good. That's yeah. yeah,
2: mission accomplished.
0: Well, I feel good. good. I feel good about this podcast, this interview. What do you guys think? I do too. I feel, I
2: feel,
4: feel like we great. made some bold choices and we <laughs> farted just the right amount. Then the word butthole was set enough. But yes. you guys
1: heard that? <laughs> I thought I was it I'm, I'm, I'm
2: so amused. Passive to it. perception,
1: very high, very high. Passive perception.
0: All right. Well, uh, what's the best? I'm going to throw it to you, Tom. Tom, you uh, tell us where people can find all about uh, uh, Dumb Dumbs and Dragons. You mentioned the other other podcasts, all the other content you're doing. What's what's yeah, the best place yeah, yeah. to point
1: people? So you can check us out at uh, dumdumdice.com is kind of our central hub for for everything. We're on all of your favorite podcatchers of the many varieties. Um, So we've got uh, Dum Dums and Dragons. Uh, We have a Vampire the Masquerade show. We've got a Star Wars, um, Edge of the Empire show-ish. That one gets off the rails pretty quick. Uh, (laughs) We've got a... Um, a, a Mythos Mysteries, which is our like Pulp Cthulhu show uh, that we ran for a bit. It's like Scooby Doo meets Stephen King. Um, we've got a Warhammer Forty Thousand show, uh, Valentine Heresy, and all of these shows are end of our vampire shows, Blood and Syrup. So you can check those out. All the infos on the website. But basically, if you're hearing any of these sort of like, oh, these adventures sound good. All the shows have a similar flavor. Some of them lean a bit darker. Some of them lean a bit lighter. Uh, someone turns into a Voltron in the middle of a Star Wars show. We couldn't stop them. It just happened. Um, But uh, yeah, Dum Dums and Dragons is, our, is the one we've been at for the longest. There are recaps. to it throughout. So if you want to check out a recent episode, you're like, hey, what are they up to now? You can hop in. We're like deep in season six. We're in a mine fighting like a giant like meteorite uh, and a bunch of undead monsters. So, you know. Usual Tuesday. Um, <laughs> or, uh, yeah, you can start start at the top. Uh, again, the show really pays off. We start out in the minds of Fandelver as we were just kind of getting our feet under us. And then we shift into original content as we go. Um, but, uh, yeah, lots of familiar faces along the way. We've determined ours is like a multiverse dumb Faerun. We're just like, it's like Faerun, but dumb. Uh, <laughs> so you'll see some surprising twists on old favorites. Um. That's great. Yeah, where can they find you personally I, I, on the on the socials if they want to follow? Oh you. yeah, yeah, you can get me at mcgee td on on Twitter where I mostly repost things about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> uh, and occasionally um, uh, you know obscure video game jokes with with Tyler. But that's the best place to find me. Sweet. What about you, Ryan? Where's Where's you personally beyond all this stuff? Yeah, I'm
4: I'm at the Ryan Laplante, spelled like my name, which I'm imagining is in the description, so I'm not saying it out loud. There's too many <laughs> letters. Uh, but uh, that is me on all social media. Uh, and if you're looking to follow our, our shows, or our companies, we're at Dumb Dumb Dice on Twitter, Instagram, elsewhere. D-U-M-B, D-U-M-B,
0: D-I-C-E. That's us. Nice. And Tyler, what about you? Yeah, I'm at Tyler
3: underscore Hewitt on Twitter. That's that's my main one. I think I opened an Instagram account uh, for for uh, like dumb dumb dice social media reasons, and that's Tyler's stupid Insta because I don't use it or like it. <laughs> it he's posted nothing. It's yeah. just a, a ghost account for him to voyeuristically <laughs> look at other pictures. You want to hang out with me at Tyler Hewitt undersc- at Tyler underscore Hewitt on Twitter. Perfect, awesome.
0: I think we're opposite where I have the underscore on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And your Twitter's uh, Greg's stupid Twitter. Greg's stupid Twitter, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. It's been a joy uh, chatting with the three of you. Thank you so much for coming it on. Really and I has. hope you guys get uh, six more seasons. Uh, lots more deadlines to come.
4: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes looking Thank forward to so it. Thank you so much for having us.
0: Thanks so much for having us. And, this and lots more treat.
2: children for you too, Tyler. Which is-
0: oh, God. So oh. much children. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> They will find the slime. Thank you guys so much. Well, I am inspired by that conversation. I feel like we've learned uh, so much about uh, how to use improv in our way of doing things.
2: Yes. In our lives.
0: In our lives. It's true. Are we not just improvisers in our own lives? Is
2: is life not just an ongoing D&D campaign?
0: All the world's a stage and we are merely Muppets
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> could we not have dug into that a little I have so many questions about the I saw, Muppet Shakespeare Theater. I saw your face because when he just like dropped that little nugget I was like Whoa, oh, wait. Oh. and I saw your eyes get big too and we were like damn
0: <laughs> I know I know I think uh, Tyler saw it as well uh, and he's like mm-hmm, that's a real <laughs> that's thing that's <laughs> what he said just very casually mentioned
2: Shakespeare theater. Oh, okay. So good. Yeah. So good. Only in Canada. I don't know if that's true, but.
0: Because <laughs> they're outside of the copyright laws. <laughs> they can do it. <laughs> Fair use, people. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Makes total sense. Well, that was wonderful. Uh, check out uh, Dumb Dumbs and Dragons uh, and all the amazing podcasts that they are creating. I uh, wanted to ask if they had, you know, advice for starting up a thing uh, because so many people, I think, That that bug, that itch to want to not just have home games, but to create um, uh, something that others can enjoy. And, um, you know, I, I love that they're a shining example of that. I agree. Sweet. If you want to find out anything that's going on in our world, you can follow me at Greg Tito on Twitter, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. I'm also on The Mastodon and uh some others uh things out there hive and 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 others um shelly how can people find you
2: you can find me at Moo on twitter or instagram or you can check out my website shellymazanoble.com nice yeah
0: i'm working on a website too i forgot to mention but it's gonna be one of these i'll 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 debut it oh i can't wait (laughs) working hard trying to get something together there is always difficult uh as is improvising our way through what's going on with Drunky Two-Shoes in the Radiant Citadel. You have made it to the edge of the settlement, looking out into the cloudy-colored purple-orange expanse of the astral sea. And uh, you are speaking to a elderly tabaxi. Oh, yeah. Uh, who is... About to regale you with what she knows. You're there with Samson, Altia, and Jonathan.
2: They're outside because she didn't let them in. Right. So we're having some drinks, and I'm, I, I, I'm lapping at my beverage out of a saucer while she is enjoying my water skin. See, I remember.
0: Yeah, that's what's happening. Okay. Uh, and she says, you were not the first uh, to come asking about where we come from, our people.
2: So why the mystery? Do you know the answer?
0: I know very little, but I can tell you what I know and what I told your brother.
2: You talked to my brother?
0: It was a long time ago. I was very young.
2: You know Daryl?
0: If my intuition is correct.
2: I show her a picture. Wow. I have a locket.
0: You have a locket? I was going to wonder if you're going to do like minor illusion or something like that.
2: Oh, that would be amazing.
0: Don't you have that? Do you have mine earlier? I
2: do. So yeah. sure. I'll just conjure. <laughs> yes, that that
0: is that is who I spoke to. It's amazing that my memory can hold it after so many so many decades.
2: Decades? We're not even that old.
0: He was here when I was a child, and my grandmother told me stories of the cat lord. Who is the cat he is where we, we come from. He is the the father of all. Tabaxi.
2: the cat Lord are you saying Daryl is the cat lord?
0: no, he was asking about oh where we came from, and uh, I told them all the stories I could of of where he we, we, we came from all the stories that were passed down from my parents and my grandparents there's not many of us we were scattered uh to the the to everywhere uh, all the different planes why our home uh was was lost we used to be connected to this Citadel, those huge diamonds you see used to come down and connect and would go back and forth. That's what my my, my grandmother told me.
2: Where was our home?
0: It was a world by the name of Walla. Walla? Walla.
2: And it's gone now? Or it just, we can't connect to it anymore?
0: We can't connect to it. Although... Your brother seemed to be determined to travel there.
2: When you saw him decades and decades ago? Yes. Well, he's missing right now. He came here to this citadel, and I'm looking for him, and now I'm afraid he may have tried to to find a way back to Walla,
0: and who knows where he is? I do not know, but he said... It's very hard for me to remember. I was but a child, but he seemed very excited to know the name of... Our world of our home. That is something that was the piece of information that he said he needed. And he gave me a very big hug, embraced me. I remember that. It was very, he's a very good hugger. Yeah. And he's real
2: good at snuggling.
0: He left uh, soon after uh, and I never saw him again.
2: Did you know that there's a, a bar called Drunky Two Shoes?
0: I, I don't really leave my hut here very often. Usually I don't like talking to people, but something about you, maybe it's the alcohol.
2: Maybe, or maybe we're we're kindred spirits.
0: Well, we could be.
2: Um, I'm going to hang on for a minute. I go open the door. Oh, Jonathan, do you have a picture of your parents?
0: No. Should I?
2: Does this look like them?
0: And you're showing
2: a minor illusion again
0: of his parents. Well, how do you how are you making the image look?
2: I'm just making it up.
0: They're just like people that look like him. Yeah.
2: Just yeah. Does this look like them? Um,
0: he, he squints, he's like, no, their, 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 their fur color is not the way I remember it, but. What color is it? It's, uh, my mom's was this nice, uh, orangish calico. <laughs> yes, that, that, that looks more like her when she was young. I, I she was old when I knew her.
2: Okay. What about your dad?
0: He had uh, uh, dark fur um, and uh, it was lots of white whiskers around his face. Yes, that's similar.
2: Okay, I'm gonna go back into this lady. Okay. Have you ever seen these people?
0: I have indeed. Yes, they knew my grandparents. Really? Yes.
2: Do you happen to know? Do you know? Okay, do you happen to know where they are?
0: They are, uh, passed away. They are with the Cat Lord now. Are you sure? I think so. Yes, I've not seen them. Their son is outside. Really?
2: Yeah, that's Jonathan. He's a healer. Wow. Do you have any ailments that we could take care of while we're here?
0: Well, I do have this pain in my side that just really won't go away. Even the drinking isn't helping.
2: Would you like me to call Jonathan in?
0: Um by all means. Uh, how, how are there more of you? There was a whole crowd of you behind that's why I didn't want to let everybody in.
2: Oh yeah, it's just uh three of there's three more people out
0: there. <laughs> this is a very small. I don't have enough to offer.
2: Let go me d- I'll go out. I'll let Jonathan in and and have him take a look at your side. Maybe don't tell him that you think his parents are dead though. Okay.
0: I'm very confused, but uh, if he can heal me, that I would be in your debt.
2: Oh, okay. Uh, I'll go outside now, Jonathan. Yes. Can Can you take a look at at her? Uh, she's got like a side pain, and I told her that you were a healer, and if you could like help her out, I think she has a lot of information, and she might be more amendable to helping us out.
0: Um. He he looks at you and he looks a little uh, uh, concerned. He's um, like, "My healing doesn't really work that way, but uh, I, I, I can I can see what I can do."
2: I appreciate it. Okay, okay. nice lady. Um, this <laughs> yeah. this is this is Jonathan. He's going to take a look.
0: All right. Okay,
2: and then I'm going to go step outside with Altia and Samson.
0: Okay, and we will cut there with the sound of. And
2: bones cracking?
0: We don't know. We'll see. Oh, dear. We'll see what happens from there.
2: Okie (laughs) dokie.